Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mom and Dad are Fighting is brought to you by Little Passports. Keep your kid busy after school with Little Passports, the award-winning subscription for kids. Right now, Mom and Dad are Fighting listeners can save 40% on their first month with promo code MOMANDDAD. Learn more at littlepassports.com slash MOMANDDAD. And by Prudential's 4040 Vision, a multimedia microsite exploring what life, and the future, looks like to today's 40-somethings. Hear what inspires real people, the hopes they have for tomorrow, and much more. See yourself in their stories at slate.com slash 4040vision slash family. And by BullandBranch.com, the company that makes luxury bedding affordable. Get the nicest sheets you've ever owned for about half the price of what stores and boutiques are charging. Order right now and they'll give you $50 off a set of sheets, plus free shipping. Go to BullandBranch.com, that's B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com, and use the promo code MOMANDDAD. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for December 3rd, 2015, the Dear Prudence edition. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm an editor at Slate. I'm the dad of Lyra, who's 10, and Harper, who's 8. And I'm Allison Benedict, also an editor at Slate and the mom of Harry 7, Sam 4, and Wally 2. Hey, Dan. Hey. How was your Disney cruise? Ah, uh, it was magical, as you might anticipate. Um, people who have visited our Facebook page probably saw the, in- the incredible photo of me with Chip and Dale. Um, we were treated to Disney Cruise by my wonderful in-laws over Thanksgiving break. It was a incredibly generous gift. Our kids really, really loved it. My favorite part of the entire Disney Cruise was that they have shows every night, um, with singing and dancing. And even the show that is all about Disney villains in which the hero of the show is Hades, um, it still delivered the moral that all you need to do is stay true to yourself and believe. In this case, you have to believe that you are an evil villain and then you can be an evil villain. But they are so on brand that even that show delivered that message with great efficiency. Thanks for asking. On today's show, we're going to discuss how to talk to your kids about the terrible news of the world with a teacher, Matt Dix, who faces this question all the time. Then we'll be joined by Slate's brand new Dear Prudence, Mallory Ortberg, to challenge her with some of your parenting questions. Plus, triumphs and fails and recommendations. And in our Slate Plus segment, we'll talk to the political gabfest David Plotz about a parenting conundrum he discussed on that very podcast, in which he grabbed a little boy who was about to run across the street, only to witness that boy's mom completely go off. To join Slate Plus, visit slate.com slash fighting plus. But first, announcements. We have a new live show to announce, and I'm going to let Allison take it away since it's it's in her former hometown. That's right. I am breaking out of Jersey, hopping on New Jersey Transit, taking it to Penn Station, transferring to the A, taking the A to West 4th, transferring to the F, <laughs> taking the F to 4th and 9th, and then walking a few blocks to Gowanus because, Brooklyn, we are coming to you. 
Yes, it is back to the homeland for me, and Dan will be there, too, for our Brooklyn Live show, January 26th at the Bell House. Dan and I will be joined by special guests to reveal triumphs and fails, argue about parenting in the news, and deliver some exciting live surprises, too. There will be a pre-show cocktail hour. Only 40 tickets for the cocktail hour are even available, so get them while they last. You can buy your cocktail ticket and a show ticket for $40 or a show ticket only for $20. Doors open at 6 for cocktail hour, 7 for the live show, and if you're a Slate Plus member, you'll get 30% off your ticket purchase. You can use the money you save to pay for approximately 15 minutes of a babysitter in New York City. We are super excited about the show. We can't wait to see you guys there. I think it'll be really fun, Allison, given the journey you just suggested. Perhaps you should leave now to get to <laughs> the show I may defect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, It'll be really great. Please join us. We can't wait to see you all there. And as always, if you like the show, like the show on Facebook, facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. We are always there responding to comments and yelling at each other. If you love the show and you wonder what you can do to show your support, please tell 100 friends. Just pick any 100 friends. You don't have to be choosy. You don't have to pick your best 100 friends. Any 100 will do. The more listeners we get, the more chances we have to convince our moms and dads at Panoply to let us do more live shows, hopefully in your town, so we can meet you and your 100 friends. Let's go to Triumphs and Fails. Allison. Okay, my fail this week is an ongoing issue, but it came up again on Thanksgiving when we were at my grandmother's place uh, with my cousins and their three kids and uh, several other family members. So I don't know if I've made this clear on the show after all these years, but how many years have we been doing the show? Not all these years. Like seven, eight, (laughs) 15. Anyway, my kids are extremely loud and quite rambunctious, and it is comical that I host a parenting podcast and dole out advice because my kids are total wild animals. They're great, but they have wonderful, really big personalities. At Thanksgiving, my cousin's kids were also adorable and fun, but mostly they were just there. Like, you didn't really notice them if you didn't want to because they don't storm into the living room. They just walk, and they don't scream out in excitement about every little thing. They just smile. And the contrast was so obvious to me, and I'm guessing to everyone. And this makes me incredibly self-conscious and tense in social gatherings. I worry that my family is hard to be around. Or I guess I know that my family must be hard to be around. And I think that that concern about what other people think, uh, even my parents or close friends, causes me to kind of be hard on the kids instead of embracing their enthusiasm. I'm always kind of trying to tamp them down. Uh, shushing them or constantly asking them to tone it down when we're in a public setting, a social setting that is not like quiet is not exactly called for. Like, obviously, I would do this if we were seeing a play, but I'm just talking about like being at a friend's house when everyone's there for dinner. Uh, I do it there. So, I mean, I guess I want my kids to learn to chill out, but I also want to embrace the fact that they're not chill kids and give less fucks about what other people think. But so far, I haven't. And that's my fail. I mean, my advice to you would be it's not even a matter of giving fewer fucks what other people think, but remembering the audience, like the people you with are people who love you and love your kids. And I think it's very unlikely that most of them are that bothered by your kids. Like. I've, you know, we have friends, we have a very close friend who I, I may or may not listen to this podcast, I'm not sure, but who has two boys who are almost exactly our girl's age, who I consider to be like boilerplate rambunctious boys. Like they're not more rambunctious than other boys. I bet they're exactly as rambunctious as your boys. They are wild and they scream a lot and they run around a lot. But she definitely 
the way she talks about them, it's as if they are animals or monsters or the like the worst children on earth because she just can't take it. And she worries about how they are presenting in public all the time. And I we try to tell her all the time, we are not the people to worry about. Like maybe if you're with strangers or in church or something, then worry about your kids. But when you're with your family, like just let your kids be who your kids are. They but don't them. you ever leave hanging out with them and think like, whoo. <laughs> Sure, that but that's a great relaxing. feeling. It's wow! Thank God I didn't have boys. <laughs> no, I mean I I don't really. I leave thinking that was really fun. They are really loud, but I love them anyway. That is the boys that they are. You know, it's not like they're breaking things or killing cats or something. I assume their dad is doing that. But like they, you know, they and your boys are both great. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Sure. What's yours? Uh, I also have a fail this week. Um, it's not, unfortunately, a fake fail that I can transform into a triumph through the force of my winning personality and positive outlook. It is just a straight-up fail that I feel bad about, and I'm going to try to improve. Here it is. I am super shitty at keeping in touch with my mom and dad. Um, and I'm extra shitty at keeping my kids in touch with them. And this really came home to me this weekend because we were on a very lovely vacation with Alia's parents uh, who live near us and have a very close relationship with us and with the girls. And that makes sense. That shouldn't be surprising. Um, but when we got home, I was thinking about how nice it was to spend time with them, as we often do. And I thought back to the last time that m- me and and our kids like talked to my dad. And it was like, I think it was multiple months ago. And my mom, I talk to a little more often, but not that much. And that is terrible. It's not, and it's not even, it would be like explicable if it was due to some estrangement on our part, but it's not. It's just that I am busy and I forget to call them. And he, my dad especially emails the kids through me sometimes, uh, but then it gets buried in my email and I forget to do anything about it. And it sucks. And I feel bad, especially because my dad, um, I can't remember if I've discussed this on the show before, but my dad has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's and he, he's in very, very early stages. But like, how fucking stupid and awful is it to go months without talking to your dad when he's at the beginning of a very clear, specific decline? I don't know if maybe I'm like subconsciously avoiding talking to him because I don't, because I worry about that, but that would be even worse. Anyways, I feel terrible about this and I'm going to do something about it. Um, instead of just making an argument as to why it's actually a triumph, like I did with you. Uh, starting this weekend, on Saturday mornings, we are going to call my parents. You know, like people too. First, I'm going to call one parent, then I'm going to call the other parent. Um, I'll talk to them. The kids will talk to them. Maybe we'll FaceTime sometimes. We'll do it every Saturday morning. Right now, like on our calendar, we have a million scheduled things every week, and we make the kids do them on schedule so that our forgetful kids don't miss out on stuff. So I am scheduling this thing so that forgetful me does not miss out on it. And so that my children don't miss out on talking to their grandpa while he is still their grandpa. Sorry for the bummer. No, it's, I mean, it's a, it is a fail. Uh, I fail at this too. Um, and I think making it a regular scheduled thing is a great idea. You should check with them first to make sure that's a good time for them. Your parents, I feel like I often like my excuse is just like our lives are so crazy and your life is not crazy, but you know, they also have lives. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that is useful to remember. Yes. Uh, thank you. Allison, 
brighten our day by telling us about our first advertiser, please. Our first advertiser this week is Little Passports. Are you looking for the perfect gift for your kids this holiday? Give them the gift of adventure with a subscription to Little Passports. They'll receive monthly packages in the mail filled with letters, souvenirs, stickers, activities, and more, each featuring a new country like Japan or Kenya. It's a fun way for kids to learn about geography and cultures and food around the globe right from your kitchen table. Mom and Dad are fighting listeners can save 40% on their first month today with promo code Mom and Dad. Learn more at littlepassports.com slash mom and dad. And this is actually the Hanukkah present that my parents got for all three of my kids. That's a great idea. Yep. This morning on the way to dropping Sam at preschool, I had NPR on in the car and the host was talking about the Laquan McDonald shooting in Chicago. My instinct is always to turn the radio down when something that might scare or concern the kids comes on, specifically something that I don't want to have to explain. But Sam caught it before I even had a chance and asked me, why did the police shoot people? I told him that most police officers do not shoot people, but this didn't satisfy him, and he kept probing. Why did the policemen they were talking about on the radio shoot someone? If policemen aren't supposed to shoot people unless they are in danger, why do they have guns? I tried my best to answer his questions while also trying my best to get out of the conversation as quickly as possible. We've all been there, but it feels like lately there is more terrible and complicated stuff than ever to explain or to try to avoid explaining in everyday interactions with our kids. So how do you decide how much to tell your kids about horrible events in the news? How do you weigh your desire to protect them from the darker realities of life, if you have the ability to do so, with your desire to raise informed, empowered, compassionate citizens? You can read a bazillion articles about this, how to talk to your kids about the Paris attacks, how to talk to your kids about the Planned Parenthood shooting, but I haven't found too many of them helpful. So Dan and I wanted to just have a frank and somewhat personal conversation about it here, perhaps not coming to any conclusions, and we've asked Matthew Dix, an elementary school teacher and parent in West Hartford, Connecticut, who's had to deal with some of these issues in the classroom, to join us. Hey, Matt. Hi, Allison. So how do you approach this as a teacher um, when, when these events happen in the news? And also, does it differ with how you approach it as a parent? Well, my kids are still young. They're six and three. So for the most part, I don't have to address much with them. I, um, they stay out of the news, you know, a lot. But as a teacher, um, I was a teacher during 9-11. I was a teacher during Newtown, which was rough for us because we're about 20 minutes um, north of Newtown. So that really hit our community hard. And even the Paris attacks uh, came up in class a couple weeks ago. So these are things I have to deal with a lot with, with my students. I guess the, what I, always, I always think of three things when I'm dealing with the kids. Uh, one is I never shy away from talking about it, and I don't try to end the conversation quickly. I feel like if I do that, it's a signal to them that there's something terrible on, like, the next page, and I'm just afraid to turn the next page. But at the same time, I try to keep as many of the like horrible details out as possible. So if I'm talking about 9-11, I'm not going to talk about the people who jumped out of the windows unless someone directly asks me that question. So I, I, I make sure that they feel like they have as much time as possible or as much time as they need to talk about it, and I answer every single question no matter what. So there's no questions that are inappropriate. And then the most important thing I think I do is I ensure them that they're safe at all times. I, I talk about the odds, like the chances that this you would be in a situation like this. And we talk about the lottery and how you're more likely to win a lottery than you are to end up in one of these situations. 
And then as silly as it sounds, I always tell them that I am the great and powerful Mr. Dix, and I will never let anything happen to them. And I, I really try like hell to convince them that that is true. And they love to ask what-if questions, like, well, what if this happened? What if this happened? And I always, in every case, say, I will always make the perfect decision, and you will always be <laughs> safe with me no matter what. And I think that actually works most of the time. I think they're, they're put at ease knowing that there's an adult who will make the right decisions, so they don't have to worry about making those decisions. So basically, though, you lie, right? <laughs> I mean, that's what I struggle with, like how much, how much of the truth to tell and how much to lie. Well, I don't think I lie. Do you mean lying in terms of telling them they're going to be safe? Yeah, or that you can protect them from everything. Well, I mean, you know, part of it is being sort of blessed with arrogance. I do believe that in these situations, I will always make the best possible decision. And while it's true that tragedy may strike, and maybe there is something that I won't be able to protect them from someday, when that day comes, they're not going to accuse me of being a liar. You know, if something terrible happens, something terrible happens. But I feel like... My promise to them is no matter what happens, I always, the words I always use are, I will make the perfect decision to keep you safe. And that I believe. I believe that no matter what happens, I will make the absolute best decision. And if tragedy still you know, befalls us, I haven't really lied to them. I've told them that they're going to be um, you know, as safe as possible in my hands. Dan, how much do you talk about, about events in the news with your kids? More and more as they get older. I mean, Lyra in particular, who's 10 now, is a very curious kid and she we live in a community with a lot of people who pay attention to the news and so she hears about stuff at school even if she doesn't hear about it from us she's an active reader so she looks at the newspaper and she looks at magazines that come in and she forms opinions and so we've been talking about stuff a lot we had long conversations about paris recently which were really interesting and one thing i'm curious about with you matt is to what extent you know, I think for Lyra, she's coming into contact with a lot of this stuff at school, often even before we get a chance to talk to her about it. Do you think that's true for your kids? Do you feel like you are often the first person who is talking to these kids about these difficult world circumstances? Is that because parents aren't talking to them about it or just because they spend so much time with you? Uh, it's a good question. I, the policy I've always had and sort of our school policy is on the – on the day of Newtown, on the day of 9-11, we protect the kids for that day and not let them know that anything happened. So they go home with no knowledge of what has happened in the world. So the parents can sort of make that decision if they want to talk to their kids at home about what has happened. At, on Newtown, it was really horrible. Um, the, pol the police came to our school at the end of the day, just increased, increased police presence, and there was a car parked right outside my classroom. They saw it pull in. And then they heard the principal come on the intercom and just say, very benignly, we're going to be dismissing kids in a moment. Teachers, just be watchful and make sure that everyone goes home safely. And one of my kids looked at the police car and listened to the intercom and then turned to me and said, something awful happened, didn't it? And in that circumstance, I actually had to talk to the kids about it because they all realized they were going out into a world that was different than the one they walked into the school. But I, think, I do think some parents don't talk to the kids about these things, you know, sort of protecting their kids. But what happens is they come to school and the kids are talking about it. So there's really no way to, to keep something like Newtown or 9-11 or even the Paris attacks away from a kid because they're going to hear it as soon as they get into class. So there's no way for me to sort of box it off and say, we're not going to talk about that in school because that just means they're going to talk about it at recess and they're going to talk about it at lunch. So I make sure that when I'm talking to them about it, they're getting good facts. You know, they're, 
they're understanding the reality of the situation, but also understanding how safe they are, uh, regardless of the reality. Uh, there's an old quote that gets passed around all the time uh, whenever an event like this happens that that sometimes feels to me a little bit uh, a little bit pat, but which also is inescapably true and I think very comforting often to kids when you're talking about things like this. And that has really driven a lot of my conversations with Lyra about events like this, which is that old Fred Rogers quote about whenever something bad is happening, look for the helpers. There are always people who are helping. Um, and those are the people who you should focus on. And I have tried to do that too with Paris, particularly, um, she had a lot of questions about those attacks. She had questions about why they happened, about how we should respond, about whether they could happen here, about whether how the United States will respond and whether we will defeat this enemy. And I tried in the end to really make that conversation to steer it as much as I could um, towards thinking about the way that something like this can be remedied with kindness, the way that can it can inspire kindness and helping in people, the way that tragedies always can do that, and the way that we can remember the people who died and honor them by doing the kindest things we can uh, for everyone, and specifically for people in need all around the world. And I think that she took that to heart. And and maybe that's a little bit of a wishy-washy way to respond to someone, you know, declaring war on the Western way of life. But at the same time, it felt to her, I think it felt comprehensible and uh, and it felt to her like a, an actual thing she could do or enact in her own life uh, and, and a useful way to think about these world events. Are there certain topics you guys find scarier to talk um, about than others? Like we, John has talked to our kids a lot about, not a lot, but he's talked to them about Ray Rice and Greg Hardy and we talked to them about Eric Garner but we did not talk about the Paris attacks. And until the, uh, Harry actually came home with a book from school or having read a book about 9-11, we never talked about 9-11. And I think it's because those are things that feel like these these scarier things that could happen to them, not just like these bad things that are hap- that have happened to somebody else. Um, and that that's, I guess, where I, not where I draw the line, but where I find it more difficult. Um, I, for some reason, I don't find it as difficult to say, like, there's there's a, you know, an athlete who's a bad person who beat up his girlfriend. For me, it's sort of the opposite, Allison. Like, I, I don't feel, I don't have a really hard time talking to them about big sort of single-serving tragedies, even if those tragedies are tied to greater world events or to greater governmental policies um, or things like that. What I have a real problem talking to my kids about and what feels very tough for me are the sort of endemic problems that I know they will face. You know, it's very unlikely they're going to ever directly face a terrorist attack, you know, knock on wood. Um, but it's it's not at all unlikely that they will face, you know, the ramifications of climate change or especially because I have daughters that they will face like a deeply sexist objectifying society that is going to get really gross for them really soon. And those are, we're just sort of starting to have the beginning of the conversations with Lyra about body image and about the way that women are treated in society. And those are tough because I feel like there's nothing I can do really to protect her from those things other than raise her to be as confident in herself as I can. But she's definitely going to face that problem. There's no escaping that problem. And those are the conversations that are really hard for me. Yeah, they're hard for... I agree, Dan, actually. I think they tend to be... They feel more... Maybe they're not, but they feel more individual to me. Like, 
I feel like with if I was going to talk to students about those issues, it would be small groups or one-on-one, whereas Newtown or 9-11 feels like something that a class can engage in because it's something that's happened to us as a community, whereas so many of those other situations are individual um, individual acts of violence or terror. And I think each kid perhaps would respond very differently. And I, I think maturity plays a big role in those situations, whereas if something happens to our country, regardless of how mature or not you are, you're sort of part of that conversation, whether you like it or not. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think that's true. I do also think that it that it's always worth remembering when we are talking about things like this, that that the choice that parents who look like me can make to avoid this stuff is not always a choice that is available to everyone. And the more that I think parents who look like me can be upfront with their kids about the way that the world is and the way that they can treat the world and make the world a better place, the more it helps everyone in the long run. And that it's another reason why skirting these issues or avoiding talking to them about your kids just because it would be hard is not really helping anyone in the long run. Okay, Matt, thanks so much for coming on. And I'd love to hear from our listeners either over email on our Facebook page about how you, you know, talk about these events in the news with your kids um, or advice if you don't have kids, advice for us on how we should be thinking about it. Thanks, Allison. Thanks, Dan. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. That's mom and dad at slate.com or facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. All right, let's move on to our next ad. Mom and dad are fighting is brought to you by Prudential. Today's 40 somethings are charting their own courses, sometimes by choice, but many times out of necessity. They're caring for aging parents. They're starting new careers midlife. They're juggling today's financial realities with planning for retirement. Prudential's 4040 vision brings these challenges and others into sharper focus through real life interviews and commentary from 40 somethings just like me. Plus, a compelling four part podcast on first time parenthood in your 40s with radio and television personality Faith Saley. Experience it all at slate.com slash 4040 vision slash family. All right, back to the show. Let's move on to our second segment. Most weeks here on Mom and Dad Are Fighting, we answer a listener question on the air. But this week, we are going to answer a bunch of listener questions with a little help from our friend. Hit it, Ann. Parenting is hard to do, dear Prudence. Won't you come on our show? Last month saw a dramatic change at Slate as our advice columnist of many years, Emily Yaffe, hung up her hat. But we are very excited to be joined today by Slate's brand new dear Prudence, Mallory Ortberg. Hi, Mallory. Welcome to Slate and welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm excited to be here and give you my non-expert expertise. That is Excellent. the first time Dan has ever sung on the show. Are we keeping that in? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm under I, the table right now. So I forbid its removal. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so, Mallory, as you know, now that you are dear Prudence, uh, our nation depends on Prudy to answer many questions that are outside of her own personal experience based only on her good sense and moral rectitude. Now, I understand that you do not have children, correct? I have no children. I have never children. Okay. Um, do you have any particular philosophy of child rearing that makes sense to you, uh, just from watching other people raise children from the outside? I love the idea of like my just sitting down with some big quill pen, just like my child rearing philosophy. 
I think we put that in I, your contract. Don't you have to do everything in quill pen now? I, um, I, I certainly have opinions about child rearing, as does everyone. But um, I, I don't know that I have a fully articulated philosophy other than, you know, do your best and be kind to them. Looking through Prudy's mailboxes you've been doing for the last few weeks, do you see certain kinds of parenting questions or issues or concerns recurring? What do parents who write into Prudy seem the most worried about? You know, I haven't gotten a ton of parenting questions. I did have one this last week about a woman whose daughter has just gone off to college and is having a really hard time uh, dealing with the fact that her daughter doesn't want to talk to her as much as she wants to talk to her daughter. And that's, I, I haven't gotten a lot of like, my baby won't sleep at night. What do I do? Um, but I have heard from a handful of people who are trying to figure out how to adjust having grown children with, you know, minds and desires of their own, with, which might in fact be in opposition to their desires for their children. Um, and, you know, again, I don't have children myself, but I have been parented and I have seen a lot of conflict with, uh, people my own age and older with, with their parents as they age and kind of navigating what's a relationship going to be like now that I am not your minor child living under your roof. And I think that's a huge question for a lot of people. Yeah, I foresee a real problem in the future because I definitely view my children as like my property sometimes and I, that will get uh, grosser and grosser the older they get. Uh, let's go to these listener calls. Let's start with Nadia from Minneapolis. Hit it, Nadia. Hi, this is Nadia calling from Minneapolis. I am looking for some advice about how to handle my two girls who are 10 and 12 who fight all the time about everything. Um, it's like the Jerry Springer show at my house all the time. Just to give you an example, I tried a behaviorist approach and instituted a mandatory hugging policy, thinking how can you fight with someone that you hug every day, and now they fight about how to hug. So I'm kind of at my wit's end. I'm wondering if you have any advice or maybe if you think I just need to wait it out. Thanks for your help. Love the show. That's a great question. Dear Prudence, can you help Nadia? Oh, I'm just I'm just trying to picture uh, like children fighting while hugging. Um, and it's just <laughs> a really, really wonderful picture. Did you guys grow up with siblings? I have an older sister and a younger brother, and we, 10 and 12, was like the prime quarreling age. Yeah, I had a brother, but he was enough older than me that we didn't fight that often. Same older sister. We didn't we certainly didn't physically fight. Yeah, when I believe, and Mallory, your sister, I think, has written for Slate in the past, right? She has. We and we get along like gangbusters now. My sister's about eighteen months older, and my brother's about eighteen months younger. So we were all fairly close in age. The first and only time I've ever left a mark on someone else is when I bit my brother on the shoulder when I was Whoa. nine and he was seven because he took one of the Legos I was playing with. So. I I have been there. I remember, you know, vicious quarrels over who was going to get to use the Game Boy uh, that could just we could spend all day fighting. It was wonderful. It was it was horrible, but it was it was our national pastime. So is it just a fact of life and she needs to wait it out? Oh, guys, you are just throwing me into the deep end. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I certainly don't think that you have to just like deal with your children fighting all the time, although I, I certainly think it's a normal quality of that age. I don't think mandatory hugging is probably the way to go about it, though. I think that's probably a policy that will need to be dropped before long. So we do a lot of my kids fight like also like the Jerry Springer show. Uh, very, very, very physical. And I do a, a nice mix of ignoring until like mm -hmm. someone's really like very, very hurt, not just saying they're hurt. Um, mm -hmm. 
screaming, which does not work, or separating them. The separating them does say, work. The separating help, I would imagine, at some point. It does. I mean, they come right back together once the separation is done. It doesn't like fi- it doesn't actually fix the problem going forward. It fixes it in the moment, which is great. I mean, you don't want your kids giving each other welts constantly. And and it can certainly help people calm down to be separated. That's what people do with dogs. You know, you don't yell at a dog for doing something wrong. You just remove it from the bad influence, right? Right. Children are the same. Right. They're essentially the same as dogs. Yeah. I think we can all agree on that. I mean, I do think one lesson that is worth giving to Nadia and to anyone who's facing this problem, including us, our kids fight all the time, although it's less like Jerry Springer and more like it's like sex in the city, maybe with just like vicious backbiting and cruel things said to each other. Yeah. They, they do didn't a lot of do that on sex in the city. You just like picked random women on a show. Uh, I feel like there was a lot of undermining on Sex and the City. What? Not between the four major women, but between them and, like, their various foils. Okay. I'll accept it. Okay. Thank you. Um, But the point is, I think an important thing that, you know, your experience, Mallory, can remind people of is that fighting now doesn't necessarily mean fighting forever. And, in fact, that, you know, anecdotally... I find that the people who fought the most as children often tend to have really, really, really close relationships because that you've sort of been through the wars together, you know? Mm -hmm. But of course, I don't think it means that she has to just completely put up with it now. I think separating them is a great idea, trying to encourage, you know, have certain limits where if the fighting goes past a certain point, they just have to leave the room and, and be apart for a while, I think is a good idea. It doesn't mean you have to let them you know, go all war of the roses on each other until they turn 20 and start loving each other. That's true. Uh, All right, let's move on to our second listener call from Ryan from Sheffield, England. Take it away, Ryan. Hello, I'm Ryan. Uh, I'm a father of Theo, who's two, and Bridget, who's four months old. I'm from Maryland, and I spent my whole uh, childhood there through college, but I've lived in Sheffield, England for the past 12 years. Uh, My wife's English, so we have two cultures and traditions in our house, and um, it was just on Thanksgiving. Um, which is wonderful, but I've started to think about this question. How do I, as an expat parent, share with my kids the best bits of being American and help them foster a sense of being from two cultures and not just being from England? Uh, can I do anything about it, or is it just a lost cause? Thanks. This is such an interesting question, I thought. It's a patriotic question. Yeah. I So my sister lives abroad, and she's raising her kids abroad. But I don't I don't get the sense that she focuses much on like American patriotism. She wants their English to be good. Um, That's like a that's definitely really important to her. But um, and I guess they try to do holidays. Like he said, he was doing Thanksgiving. They do Thanksgiving, although they don't do like, you know, they don't have they don't do a Fourth of July celebration or anything like that. Dan, what, what would you do? I feel like the question is a little bit patriotic, but also just a little bit generally idealistic, right? He's asking what are the real question here is what are the things about America that are worth teaching and worth keeping? I think that that's, I mean, a very personal question for many people, but I think almost everyone would agree that the right, the, the ideals of American society are worth um, transmitting to your children and talking about and the, the things about America's history that show us in our best light, but also the things that show us where we have failed are worth teaching. And and if I was raising kids in a foreign country, I would want them to have a sense that the place that their parents came from, the place that they might one day return to, uh, 
is a real place with real people and real problems and but also a place that that often the world has looked to with hope and i feel like that's kind of delightful mallory what do you think yeah i mean i don't have anything that wildly differs from from the two of you i mean you know for better or for worse american culture is something that we export all around the world so i think Growing up in England, it's not as if your children are going to be completely ignorant of American culture. They will see movies and TV and um, go to McDonald's, and um, so it's not it's not like a vanishing culture that you have to kind of worry about preserving. Um, yeah, but are those the good parts or the bad parts? Seems like those are the bad parts that maybe you want to avoid. Oh yeah, well if you don't if you don't like the American television that they might be exposed to, yeah, you'll want to do a little, I guess, uh, intentional American curation. But, you know, I think partly just having you around will do it. You know, having an American parent who can afford to take them back with you on visits to see presumably your American family so that they can kind of have a connection, not just of America is this country that my dad is from, but America is the place where part of my family lives and where I come from. They can kind of have a pleasant experience and and fond memories of that. I think that's great. And yeah, you know, try not to make it too much of a chore. Like they feel like, oh, now it's time to do American studies with dad. Um, but sort of find books that you really liked as a kid that kind of uh, bring out American history or American culture in a way that is meaningful to you and um, try to share it with them in a way that's not too too overbearing, I think is great. Um, also, I would just recommend in general teaching baseball. I think baseball is a great encapsulation of America uh, and also something that you will not naturally come across in England very much at all. Um, and it's far superior to its English equivalent cricket and so should be embraced as much as possible. But also embrace embrace your life there. Make sure to embrace your life there and not always be sort of, you know, pointing them toward where they don't live. Yeah, that's a good point as well. All right, let's go to our third listener question. We have Debbie. Hit it, Debbie. Hi, guys. I have a question for you about how to turn down someone's repeated requests for a play date without causing lots of drama. My situation is that our four-year-old daughter's former classmate from her school is a boy. We'll call him Bobby, which is obviously not his real name. One year older than her, and they got along very well when they were in school together, but the boy is completely out of control, and his parents do not discipline him, even if he's doing something we consider inappropriate, like throwing rocks or ripping all the plants out of the ground or spraying other children in the face with a water hose or climbing onto the roof of his parents' car when it's parked in the street. I have never in all of our interactions seen his parents discipline him, and not only do I notice our daughter trying to copy his behaviors, but we also end up fielding questions from her along the lines of, why can't I climb up on top of our car? Bobby's parents let him do it. The problem is that we have lots of shared social connections, so we see this family at birthday parties and other events all the time. And every time we see them, they ask if we can get the kids together, and it's becoming obvious that we're putting them off and making excuses. I don't want to cause tensions, but I don't know what else to do besides continuing to duck the invitations and hoping that they get the hint. Any thoughts or ideas you have would be appreciated. Thanks a lot, and keep up the great podcasting. So this is the closest of the three questions that we're asking that we're answering today to a true dear Prudy help. My daughter wants to play with the bad kid Bobby. Prudy, what do you think? Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, this is luckily for me, I guess, less of a parenting question and more of a how do I deal with adults question. You know, many plants as a five-year-old rips up. He's a five-year-old, and he's just, you know, it's less his fault than it is his parents. I'm a fan of carefully choosing conflict. 
And it seems to me like this is one of those situations where unless you have a really low threshold for gentle lies, it seems like a great strategy to just go with, yes, we should absolutely get the kids together sometime. We're incredibly busy right now, but I'll let you know when things clear up. And uh, just to do that indefinitely rather than have a conversation with some acquaintances whose kid used to go to school with your kid about how they think that they're parenting him badly. You know, if it was a sibling or something, I could understand wanting to have a conversation. But if these people just used to be parents at the same school as your kid, just go with the polite lie and the smile and, oh, things are just crazy right now. I can't believe it. But soon I'm sure they'll clear up. Just do it until your daughter's 18. (laughs) <laughs> Allison, as the parent of a Bobby, what do you think? <laughs> I was going to say I sympathize with Bobby and Bobby's family in this scenario. What about actually occasionally saying yes? Like, how terrible is it really going to be? It's not going to turn your daughter into the animal that she is not. It's not going to be pleasant for you. You're not going to have a good time. But can't you say yes once every three months? These people probably feel somewhat isolated because everyone is probably saying no to them because their kid is the wild child. Maybe it would be good for the kid, for them. uh, And you'd also be doing something, you know, nice as a friend. But isn't this reinforcing bad parenting? No. No, giving in to the bobbies of the world? (laughs) No, the bobbies of the world will eventually win no matter what you do. So it doesn't matter. (laughs) Uh, Everything in your backyard. And you're not going to be able to start like you're not going to be able to prevent your daughter from being around the bobbies of the world for long. Right. In fact, there are bobbies in her school right now who she has to deal with on a day to day basis. I so I would say to Debbie, Debbie, I am so grateful that you listen to and enjoy the show, but I kind of think that you are in the wrong on this one. I think that not only should you say yes every once in a while, I think you should just say yes. You should say yes to the playdates and not worry about how bad Bobby is. He's not endangering your daughter. He's not endangering you. It doesn't even really sound like he's endangering himself that badly. And there's an easy answer when your daughter says, why can't I do that? The answer is the same as the answer for lots of things. That's not the rule in our house. In our house, the rule is this. Bobby's parents have a different rule, and that's okay. Different families have different rules. She's not going to turn into Bobby. She's going to be the kid that she is. And within three years, chances are the unremitting um, separation of boys and girls, the self-separation of boys and girls that happens around like second grade is going to drive them apart anyway. They won't want to have play dates anymore. And then you'll feel sad because you'll miss Bobby. You'll miss that little monster in some way. And so I think you should just have the damn play dates and like deal with it. I think it will be okay. Hard disagree. Hard disagree. But Hard I, disagree. I respect your opinion and I will fight to the death your right to have it. One thing that we all agree on, though, is do not confront the parents about their children's be- their child's behavior or about their own disciplining techniques as a way to address why you don't have play dates. Yes. All right. Thank you, Mallory Ortberg. Uh, listeners, remember, if you have a question that you would like us to answer on the air, give us a call at 424-255-7833. That's 424-255-RUDE, which is what Bobby is all the time. Thank you so much for joining us, Mallory. It was great to have you on the air. Thanks for having me, guys. Okay, let's move on to our final advertisement. There are so many things that are mostly out of our control that prevent us from getting a good night's sleep. A house hunter's marathon that has hypnotized you into staying up way too late, for instance. Or a baby who doesn't sleep through the night. Or a teenager who refuses to abide by your curfew and keeps you up worrying. 
There is, however, something you can control, the sheets you sleep on, which is why you should try Bull & Branch, the online bedding company that sells quality sheets without the department store overhead. They are elegant, soft, and best of all, you can try them for 30 nights risk-free. If you don't like them, just return them. Go to bullandbranch.com, that's B-O-L-L and branch.com, and use the promo code MOMANDDAD today for 20% off your entire order, sheets, towels, blankets, duvet covers, everything, plus free shipping. That's bullandbranch.com, promo code MOMANDDAD. Okay, back to the show. All right. We are to recommendations. I will start. Uh, I'm going to recommend this week a book for adults, not a book for kids. Um, I have been trying, Allison, for a while to peg the sort of the overarching tone with which you and I usually discuss parenting, which is also the sort of overarching tone that pretty much all my friends use. And I think I sort of have it down. I think I have it, it pegged as what I'm calling loving desperation. Like, are you going to start we, marketing this like you are Ace of Hates? Ace of Hates coming, like, soon, coming soon to a store near you. <laughs> trying to make money um, off of this. And yet no, no, no. Way. I'm just, but I do think this is, I mean, I might write a piece about this someday, but I do think this is in, like, there's this, so you and I, we take it as a given that we love our kids more than anything, right? That we, everyone understands that. Yeah. So because that is a given, we feel free to bitch and complain and express our anxiety about how difficult parenting is and how we're definitely doing everything wrong and everyone hates our monster children. But we always know that we love our kids more than anything and we would definitely jump in front of a bus to protect them unless they are like fighting with each other about some stupid bullshit, in which case maybe we would just jump in front of the bus just to not have to listen to them anymore, right? That I feel like that describes often like the tenor of conversations that I have with almost everyone I know about parenting. So anyway, the point is I found a really funny book that I think is a pretty spot on encapsulation and satire, both of this feeling of loving desperation, this tone of loving desperation. The book is called mama tried. It's by Emily flake. Um, she is a cartoonist and writer. And the book is a combination of very, very funny essays about pregnancy and child rearing and also these super deadpan cartoons. The book is kind of a, a sort of a very personal handbook by Emily Flake uh, to pregnancy, to childbirth, all the way up through early childhood. And it has a lot of fun with pretty much all the hot button issues with um, natural childbirth versus drugs, with breast versus bottle, with postpartum sex versus never having sex again because it's like Chernobyl down there. Anyway. I laughed a lot reading it. I think it is super charming. It's called Mama Tried by Emily Flake. We'll have a link on our show page and on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. Allison. That sounds great. It sounds like a great gift, actually, to get someone who just had a baby. And I love the title. Yeah. Uh, okay. I know my recommendation from last week of quiche is going to be hard to beat, <laughs> but I'm going to try. <laughs> Uh, this week I am recommending Light Bright. Do you remember Light Bright, Dan? Oh, I just did. Now that you just said that, yeah, right. I used to love it when I was young. I was really I'm having bad. a Proustian experience. Yes. Right now. Well, I was terrible at art. I'm continuing to be terrible at art. But light with Light Bright, you can actually, you know, create things by sticking those plastic pegs into the holes on the plastic board, and then voila, it lights up, and it's beautiful. Anyway, they still have it. They've updated it like very, very slightly. The pegs are a little bit like flexible. Um, and they have some different shapes, but so it's my still ma- very swallowable, I imagine. Yes, although less so than they used to be because they're right. yeah, I can't really explain it. But so I saw it in Target this weekend, and my mom bought it for Sam, 
And he and Harry have both really, really loved it. So I'm here to say it is a toy that stands the test of time, and I recommend it for one and all. That's a great recommendation. I'm going to get that for my nephew. All right. That's our show. Um, please like us on Facebook. And New Yorkers, please, please, please come to our live show at the Bell House, slate.com slash live. Allison, I think you need to catch your train for that show right now. Thanks to our brand new intern, Shiva Bayat. Thanks to our producer, Ann Hepperman. Thanks to Andy Bowers, the chief content officer for Panoply. Mom and dad are fighting as part of the Panoply Network. To see the rest of our lineup of podcasts, visit iTunes.com slash Panoply. Thanks to our guests, Matt Dix and Mallory Ortberg. Thank you, Allison. Thanks, Dan. And thanks for listening. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.